We are excited to begin Masechet Sota Daf Bet. The law of Sota appears in Bimidbar chapter 5, right before Nazir. And this law is meant to bring about and keep shalom bayit between a husband and wife. Uh, because it happens sometimes that a husband um, feels suspicious that his wife is not being faithful. And maybe he has good grounds, and maybe not. But either way, uh, the husband is not going to lead to have a, have, have a good relationship if the husband is uh, thinking about this and needs um, something. He doesn't have absolute proof. If he has proof, then he could just bring proof uh, there's witnesses. Um, but where there's not uh, lack sufficient proof, so we need some kind of process. And uh, the sota process will give some kind of resolution, even if she doesn't end up drinking, which we hope she doesn't, at least he'll come to the Kohen, the Kohen will speak to them, will intervene, and hopefully just through that um, intervention, there will be some clarity and they can live happily ever after. So we have a balance here really about justice uh, between, on the one hand, if the husband has a claim and he has good grounds to, um, to be suspicious of his wife, then we want him to have a process in, by which he can then uh, further investigate. On the other hand, if the husband is just, you know, an overcrazed, uh, jealous guy, uh, we don't want him to have to put her into a difficult situation just because he is suspecting her and she didn't do anything wrong. And so we have to keep that in mind also. The sota process is shameful, is a shameful experience. Even if she ends up being innocent, she still is publicly shamed as part of the process. So we don't want to make her have to go through that if... She didn't do anything wrong, and he's just being a nutcase. Uh, therefore, we have to have a balance of the uh, proper uh, evidence that he needs some good, solid reason to suspect her. Even if he doesn't have 100% proof, we need some proof, and that will um, then will allow him to start the sota process, and then hopefully that will bring resolution. Okay, so that's what our Mishnah is going to be all about, the beginning of the Mishnah. How many witnesses do we need? in order to begin the sota process. This is all going to be based on Pesukim. A lot of the daf today will be analyzing this Pesukim. So let's start with that. If there is any person whose wife, the, this is the word sota, comes from here. Sata means to go astray. Um, uh, even though it's here it's a sin and we have it with a samech, it's the same word. It means to go astray and she breaks faith with him. She does something wrong. We're starting off with the assumption that she did actually sin. And she slept with another man and the husband doesn't didn't know. And she kept it secret and she was she was Tameh. Tameh throughout this um, uh, this discussion is not going to talk is not going to be talking about um, uh, impurity that you have to go to the mikveh for, right? Uh, Tum'ah here means that she sinned, committed adultery, and therefore is prohibited to her husband. And there is no witness, but there is no witness. So that's the problem. Because there's no witness, we can't, if there are, if there are witnesses, um, then you just take her to court, and then they would give the appropriate punishment. But there is no witness. Also, she was not forced against her will. If some other guy, not her husband, had forced her against her will, raped her, then she is permitted to her husband, assuming he's not a Kohen. That's not a sota. He can, a man cannot bring his wife 
call his wife a sota if she was raped. So that's that's very clear. Um, and there is no witness. We're going to do a lot of uh, analysis of this phrase today. Ve'ayed en ba. There is no testimony regarding her. What will that exclude? So remember this phrase. Okay. And he, although he doesn't know for sure because he wasn't there and he doesn't have proof, but he has a, gel- a fit of jealousy come over him and in fact she is guilty. All that is side A of the either or, right? We don't know. That's one possibility, right? All those three pistachim are one possibility. Or maybe a fit of jealousy came over him and he, kine, with this from here we learn that he, um, kine, which means to be jealous or it can mean to warn his wife out of jealousy, gives her a warning, hey, you better not be with him, be alone with him. But in this case, a possibility, she was not tame. He lonitma'a. She never sinned. Okay, so that's the that's the opening, right? Either she did sin with another man, and he's jealous, and he did all that, or she actually didn't sin, but he's also jealous. Either way, the guy's jealous, and he wants to do something about it, but he doesn't have absolute proof. So then, and so on, we'll deal with the rest at another time. Okay, so the most important thing is this: these pistukim here, um, where that give possibility A in uh, the first two and a half pesukim, and then possibly possibility B and the other the the other half of pasuk fourteen. Okay, this is important because we're going to be reading you know this as it, it also independently, like ve'ayed en ba. Um, in which case uh, would she, if she was guilty and he had proof, right? How much proof does does he need to prove absolute guilt and to be enough to make her a sota? All right, so let's get right into the Mishnah. Hamkane le ishto, Rabbi Eliezer Omer mekane alpi shenaim, umashke alpi ayed ehad o alpi asmo. Rabbi Yoshua Omer mekane la alpi shenaim, umashke alpi shenaim. We have Machloket here about two stages, two stages of um, of testimony. The first stage is if a man feels some jealousy, he suspects something that her, her his, his wife is um seems to be spending too much time with um Mr. Cohen. And so he doesn't like this and so he gives her a warning. That's the kinui first is the warning and tells her, "Listen, I have a warning. I don't want you to be alone with Mr. Cohen." So that's the called the mikane, that's the kinui, that's the warning. Rabbi Eliezer says the warning has to be in front of two witnesses. He has to take her in front of two witnesses and says, I don't want you to be with Mr. Cohen alone. Why do you need two witnesses? Well, that actually effectuates that this is in fact a warning. And it also is testimony afterwards, right? She can't come and say, oh, he never warned me. I didn't know. There's two witnesses they, that you need. And then... Let's say afterward she is alone with um, with Mr. Cohen for a certain amount of time, the amount of time that it would take for them to actually sin together. Um, if they are, so that's called mashke. Then he would, then she is officially designated as a sota, and she she will be brought to the Cohen to go ahead with the rest of the process in which 
she may have to drink the the waters, the, the sota waters. For that, according to the Bieliezer, all you need is one witness. One witness says, I saw them go into that room and I saw they were there together for a few minutes. Or even himself, the husband himself, right? He could be looking and saying, oh, I saw after I did the warning in front of two people, I saw her go with Mr. Cohen into that room and they and they and they were together in that room for uh, for those few minutes then that that then he can come and bring his wife she is a sota from that point on they're not allowed to be together the husband and the wife okay so that's um that's according to rabbi eliezer two witnesses and then one witness however rabbi yoshua says two and two he has to give her the warning in front of two witnesses and the um the uh, the being uh, the being alone the being in seclusion also has to be in front of two witnesses. Okay, you see this. I mean, it relates to the laws of Yichud. A person cannot be alone with someone that, that a man and a woman are, who are prohibited to each other are not allowed to be alone um, together. But if they are alone together, right, that doesn't make her automatically a sota. That the the being the seclusion has to come after a warning, right? That's the whole point. Because there's a warning, and still, even after the warning, she does she's secluded with them. That is a good reason to suspect. But um, how much proof do we need? Well, everyone agrees you need two witnesses for the warning. Um, but what about for the seclusion? Rabbi Eliezer says one. Rabbi Yoshua says two witnesses. Good. Kesad la. Okay, how does he give, give the warning? Omer la shenaim. Al im ish peloni. imo. Interesting, the Mishnah gives an example where the warning doesn't work. If he tells her in front of two witnesses, do not speak to that guy, to Mr. Cohen. And then she goes and speaks to him in public. She speaks to him or calls him on the phone, right? Um, uh, uh, still, she's permitted. She wasn't secluded with him, and therefore she's permitted to be in her house. That means she's permitted to have relations with her husband. And if her husband is a Kohen, and she is not a Bat Kohen, while she's married, she's allowed to eat Teruma. So they remain married, and therefore uh, she's allowed to continue to, eat, continue to eat Teruma. In other words, that's not what a warning is, and that's not a violation of a warning if she just speaks to him. However, it's only considered seclusion if she actually goes into a secluded place and is with there the amount of time it would take for them to make to sin. And if she does that, and there is one witness or two witnesses, depending on who you follow, then she will be prohibited to her husband, right? They cannot be together. And she also will be prohibited from eating teruma, um, because it's like they're separated now. And then if the husband should die at, during that time while she's a suspected sota, um, so she would, and uh, and they didn't have children, so the, the brother of the deceased would have to do chalitza and not yibum, right? Just like the husband himself was prohibited to her, so we're going to continue that prohibition and say the husband should not come in and be in his place. If even the the brother himself was prohibited, the then the, the deceased brother, then the, then the living brother also should not do yibum, but rather should do he still have to do chalitza because they're not yet divorced. Um, so you have to do chalitza so that she can go and remarry. We'll talk more about that in a, um, in a different day.
All right, that is the Mishnah. Now, first we're going to ask about the order of Masechtot in, um, in the Mishnayot, in Shas. Now, we know that the Tana, that's the, the reciter, the professional reciter who knew all the Mishnayot by heart. It was like kind of a walking book, right? The Mishnah was, was, uh, was not written down. So the reciter, instead of saying the book of the Mishnah, we're talking about the reciter. And so this reciter who studied, the, who, who, who's presenting to us the Mishnah, is just saying like the Mishnah itself, what did he just teach us? Before this, Nazir, right? We just finished Masechet Nazir. That's what comes before er, in, in the order. So what did he teach over there that now he's going on to Sotah? What's the connection between Nazir that would lead into Sotah? Why are we learning Sotah now after Nazir? And the answer is, Kedirabi, the Tanya Rabi Omed, Lama Nismecha Parashat Nazir Parashat Sotah, Loma Lecha, Shekol Aroe Sotah Bekilkula, Yazir Asmo Minayayin. The answer follows this following teaching of Rabi Uda Nasi, which makes sense since he is, in fact, the compiler of the Mishnah, then uh, he probably put this uh, very teaching into practice in the order of the Mishnah. But Abi himself was actually talking about the order of parashiyot in the Torah. And he asks, how come in the Torah, Parashat Nazir and Parashat Sotah are back to back? Sotah is chapter 5, Nazir is right after in chapter 6, to tell you anyone who sees a Sotah in her disgrace, he should renounce himself from wine. In other words, become a Nazir. Uh, what's the connection between them? A Sota, let's say she's guilty, and the people are, and there's people around, and they see a Sota who's guilty, and so they should think to themselves, what would lead a person to do such a terrible thing and uh, be, uh, be uh, unfaithful to her husband and ruin her family and ruin her life like that? Nobody in their right mind would do that. You know what causes some people to not make a good decision? Wine. They make them. They they make get themselves drunk and they lose their inhibitions and they make bad decisions. That's often the cause of it. And so you know what? Now that we see this person who went went astray because of wine, uh, let's let's uh, go to the opposite extreme. We need to make teshuvah kind of a communal teshuvah, and let's. And try to keep as far away as possible from that. Let's become a nazir. So that's why in the Torah it talks about um, it talks about sota first, and immediately after, you know what? The opposite extreme, which is a nazir. Okay, nazir. I understand that makes sense in the Torah. That's the right order, but we did the the wrong order. We just learned nazir, and then sota. We should learn sota first, and then nazir. Um, let me take a, a, a tangent for a moment about the order of Masechtot. Um, over here, you know, we're assuming that the order of Masechtot are by, by theme or some connection between one and the other. And uh, a lot of discussion has been, uh, uh, has gone on about this and in, the, in the Talmud and the Rishonim, Harambam as a whole thing. Um, but actually, if you, look at, uh, if you look at it, there's a simple, very simple reason for the order of Masechtot within each seder. And that is, has to do with size order. Um, uh, uh, for example, here, Yevamot has 16 Pedakim in the Mishnah. Ketubot, 13, Nedarim, 11. All these three have nine. Kiddushin is the shortest with four. It always goes from the longest to the shortest. 
Um, that works here. You see Seder Moed, right? 24, 10, 10, 8, 8, 5, right? And goes from the largest to the smallest. In Masechet Nizikin, um, it looks like it doesn't work, but it actually does work. The three Bavot are actually three units. That's what it means. First gate, second gate, third gate. Bavabatra, uh, third gate, uh, last or last gate. This is actually one Masechet originally called Masechet Nizikin with 30 chapters. Sanhedrin and Makot were originally one with 14 chapters. Right? Anyone who reads the, the beginning of Makot knows that it's connected to Sanhedrin. That's four. So it's really 30, 14, and then the rest work out. Avot, the last chapter of Avot is added on later. It's not original. So that works. It works for Kodashim as well, 14, 13, and so on. Um, it works for Taharot as well. Um, the only problem with it is Zeraim, which is still a mystery. Um, how come Zeraim is not in size order? If anybody can solve that, um, you can get a PhD. Um, so uh, back to uh, Nashim. Um, so here it is. So uh, really, Nazir and Sota is a good question because you can flip them easily and they're both nine and nine, right? So that doesn't really matter. Um, so therefore, this is still a good question. Um, even keeping size order, why not put, why is Nazir first? Okay, so back to the Talmud. Um, uh, the answer is, we started with Ketuvot. Ketuvot is, after all, the longest. In Ketuvot, there's the seventh pedic there about Hamadir et Ishto, someone who makes a neder against his wife, and there was a whole um, uh, list, a whole uh, uh, section about husbands and wives making vows that affect each other uh, in their marriage. So since in Ketuvot it's brought up the topic of Nedarim, so that's why we go and study Nedarim next. Once you study, started studying Nedarim, a Nazir is a type of Neder. And so we went into Nazir. And now, since we have Nazir first, it's connected to Sota. So even though you're right, first if someone is Sota, then we become Nazirim. But that's true for the Torah. But in the Mishnah, we got to Nazir first because we connected it to Nedarim, which was connected to Ketuvot. All right, that explains the order of the Masechtot. Now, Hamkane diavad in lechatechila la kasabatana dinan didan asur lekanot. The Mishnah starts off with Hamekane, why someone who issues a warning in a passive, uh, passive voice that he already did it. If he already issued a warning, then these are the requirements, right, to get to the next step. That has to be two witnesses. The next one has to be one witness or two witnesses. Um, but it doesn't sound like one should do this on purpose. Um, now, the truth is that the Mishnah often uses this kind of language. Um, sometimes it uses passive, sometimes active language. Um, but I think uh, it's, uh, grammatically, it does. you don't really have to say this is only bidiyavad. Um, but I think that the Gemara here wants to make a point. The point being, asul kanot one should not be eager to go and um, uh, uh, give give warnings, uh, give a warning to his wife. Right? This is not really a proper thing to do. Um, it leads to shame, embarrassment, um, you know, lots of problems in uh, in starting uh, starting down this process. Right? You're having some issue with your wife. I don't know. Go to therapy. Go to the rabbi. Talk it over. Try to figure it out. Right? This is. 
a um, this is a very serious option. Um, the sota, right? It's it's there because there there is a need for it. If someone does it and already goes starts going down that, then okay, we need to know the laws about it. So it does fulfill a purpose, but lechatechila um, one should avoid um, triggering the sota. Uh, law and one should not give this official warning to his wife. All right, that's really important. This is almost similar to Nazir. Although we have a whole masechet about about Nazir, we saw multiple times that someone uh, that one should not be a Nazir. Back, same thing with Nedarim before, right? Someone who makes a Nedar uh, 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 sin, someone who even fulfills the Nedar, it's like he made a korban outside the Bet Hamikdash, right? So these are all um, uh, laws that are in the Torah and have. A reason that they need to need to exist, um, but in practice, um, generally one should avoid actually triggering um, these uh, laws. Okay. Okay. Shmuel, name of Rav Yitzchak, says that. The son of Rav Yitzchak said that when Rish Lakish would expound on Sota, right, when he gave his opening lecture on Masechet Sota in his yeshiva, it's fantastic, we get to know what Rish Lakish said whenever he was learning Sota. He would um, he would say this as the um, as the as the main exposition. Um, um, a person is not given a match. Uh, a, a, a man is not given a match to, uh, of of a woman except according to his deeds. In other words, Hashem gives arranges that a man uh, will get a woman who he deserves. Right, um, that's always a good thing you could say to someone who uh, got engaged. Right, you got the person that you deserve. That could be a compliment or not. It depends on right what the what 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 you think of that person. Um, but that that's a law. A person gets what he deserves. How do we know? Because the pasuk says, um, "For the rod of wickedness shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous." Right, that the righteous will not get a bad lot, the bad lot that a wicked person has. Everybody gets what's coming to them, and so this is uh, this is important. You know, this is good advice you tell to sell tell singles. You know, when you when you're when you're making decisions as a as a single person and you're thinking about who would you want to marry, right? What's the, your ideal spouse? You should always think of, you know what? I better live up to uh, to be the type of person that the type of person I would want to marry would want to marry me, right? Um, if you really want to find a good uh, a good spouse, then make sure to live up to that level that that whoever you want to marry would want to marry you. Okay, so this is an important principle, and I think the point that Lakish is making here is that listen, listen, husband, right? Before you're so quick to uh, suspect your wife that she is unfaithful, well, just know that. And everyone gets the spouse that's appropriate to them. So if you think that your wife is a low life, unfaithful, untrustworthy, then that actually also reflects on you, right? That you deserve such a wife. So, you know, this is all before you judge your wife, think about judging yourself as well. 
And if you think that you're righteous and you're beyond, uh, beyond reproach and would never do such a thing, then maybe give the benefit of that judgment also to your wife and say, okay, I know, I, maybe I saw her, I think, but let me give her the benefit of the doubt and, may, and I not jump to conclusions, all right? Because what you say about your wife reflects about you as, your, your, reflects yourself as well. All right, Resh Lakish, right? He'd be a great therapist. Amar Bar Bar Hana, Amar Bi Yochanan, Vikashin Lezavegan, Kekiriat, Kiyamsu, Shine Emar, Elohim, Moshi Bihadim Baita, Mosi Asidim Bakosharot. Famous statement of Rabbi Yochanan that um, putting uh, couples together is as difficult as Kiriat Yamsuf. It's interesting analogy because Kiriat Yamsuf is separating things apart. But there are uh, Kiriat Yamsuf is one thing, right? And it come, turns into two, and then right after they go through, it comes back into one. So there actually is some similarity. Just like Adam and Chava originally were one being, and then Hashem separated them into two back uh, before Gan Eden, and then everybody everybody's looking for their lost half and to come back together. So just like the Yamsuf was one, became two, came back into one, so there is a, a physical similarity. I think there's also a more conceptual similarity, which is Kiryat Yamsuf is actually a Berit ceremony. In the ancient times, when you wanted to make a berit, you take something like an animal, split it into two, and walk down the middle. The two parties will walk down the middle, which we actually still do in a wedding, right? The two parties, the husband and the wife, walk through, walk down the aisle with the two groups of guests, right? The, they're both families on each side. And just like Kiryat Yamsuf is, in a way, marching down the aisle towards um, Har Sinai when they wrote Gat the Ketubah of the Torah, that is a Berit marriage ceremony. Um, so too, um, bringing a husband and wife is also a Berit marriage ceremony. One is between God and B'nai Israel, the other between a man and a woman. So I think they're also similar in that sense. Anyway, Rabbi Yochanan is saying, Kiryat Yamsuf, a hard thing to do. Not that there's anything that's difficult for God to do, but the point is that, right, this requires uh, direct intervention, a lot of attention to get it right. And so too, a husband and wife, precisely because husband and wife are matched, right? As I think this is following up on what Eshakish like said, right? That you got to find the exact match of a person Right, this person has ten good qualities, and this person has nine good qualities, and not exactly the same. And so that's uh, what's make what makes it difficult to find people that really match each other. Um, and, and anyway, what's the pasuk that we know this from? Because it says in Mizmor sixty-eight, the Mizmor that we actually say on Shavuot, which a bit supports my theory that this this has to do with Berit, um, and uh, that says um, Elokim Moshim Yechidim. Yechidim means singles. Baita. He finds singles a home. They were single, and now they now they have a home. He matches them up. So that refers to matching up husbands and wives. And that refers to Kiryat Yamsuf. Hashem brought prisoners out to prosperity. That's B'nai Israel, who were prisoners in Egypt, and he brought them out during Kiryat Yamsuf into prosperity. Since these two things are back-to-back in the Pasuk, so they are equated. All right. 
Um, so all that is about um, about marriage and the um, and the difficulty and what you say about the other really reflects back to you. Now, Eni, we have a challenge to this conception of marriage up here. So we have another statement by Rav. Interestingly, these these statements are by Reshakish and Biochanan in Eretz Israel. Um, Rav, who's in Bavel, says something different. He says that 40 days before an embryo is formed, while while a person is still a fetus um, in in its uh, uh, in its mother, um, uh, the Aibatkol comes and says um, the daughter of so and so and this father and mother. Um, uh, well, the, the daughter of this mother is going to marry that person and the house of that person is going to end up being belonging to that, the other person and the field of this guy is going to end up being the field of that guy. In other words, all everything that happens is predestined, a person's financial transactions, right? Don't think, oh, I, you know, I, I lost my field if only, or he gained the field, that means he's, right, he's, uh, he, he, um, he did something. No, it's not nothing about what a person does in his life. All these things are predestined to happen. At least these um, basic things are predestined. Um, and so here it says that, who a person is going to marry is already predestined. So that means it's not dependent on their actions, right? If a person grows up and he makes all kinds of uh, bad decisions and another person makes good decisions and is a sadiq, well, it doesn't matter what they do. If they were predestined to marry each other, they're still going to marry each other no matter what they do. And so this statement seems to contradict the statement before. Okay, besides contradicting, this statement of Rav has, um, has, uh, is, is very difficult and Rambam writes about it and says, Rambam says, you can't take this statement literally. It doesn't make sense. Right? What if you have a, someone who marries a divorcee or marries a Kohen, a prohibited relation? That also, it was predestined. Is it predestined that a person is going to sin? Right? The rabbis say, Right, you can say every anything is predestined except a person has free will to do good or evil. Otherwise, Rambam says, how could you punish or command anyone to do anything? And therefore, since marriage is a mitzvah and a certain marriages are prohibited as an avera, so it can't be that marriage, anything that has to do with marriages is predestined. This has to be based on free will. So Rambam says, don't take this literally. Okay. Um, back to our question. Well, which one is it? Is uh, does a person get a get a spouse based on their deeds after they're alive for an, uh, for a while, or is it based on what they uh, based on predestination before they were born? And the Gemara answers this statement of Rav that was a person a person's first marriage, right? Which is usually when they're young, and then um, they don't have a lot of history just yet. Especially then, they uh, people marry married young. And so the first marriage, that's predestined. In other words, it doesn't really matter, uh, depend on their, their, their histories and what they did. Usually people, when they're young, they're pliable. They're not set in their ways, right? And uh, uh, they can uh, figure out how to get along and they'll, they'll, they'll uh, blend together. So you can talk about them as 
being predestined. Whereas a second marriage, if a person's older and they're already with another person, they already have uh, um, uh, the habits and things that are hard to get over, much more difficult to get, to find someone to get along with. That's kashe, right? Hard to find someone who's going to be really just like you after a person's already had uh, some, some decades of life experience and had previous relationships. And so that's what we're talking about, where you get what you deserve. Um, that's talking about a second, a second marriage. All right, very interesting. And um, we go on to the next, uh, the, the opening halacha now. Rabbi Eli Ezer Omer, Mekanela alpi shenaim adkan la pelige ela bikinui ustirava betum'ah ed ehad meheman. Okay, we saw the machloket in the Mishnah was about how many witnesses, well, everyone agreed you need two witnesses for the warning. And the question is, when do you, do you need one or two for the seclusion? Okay, we got that. Um, however, right, they're, they're only arguing about the um, the uh, uh, testimony, the warning, and the and the and the seclusion. Really, only about the seclusion. But what about not a case, a different case? What if it's actual tumah? What about if there's uh, uh, how many witnesses would you need? to see if they saw them actually sin, not just be secluded, but actually saw a sin. Uh, the idea would be that there was, um, there was uh, a warning, right? Don't be with that guy. But instead of just that we saw them secluded, we, I, someone actually saw them sin together. That's what Tum'ah means. Everyone would agree that one witness is sufficient, such that if the husband in front of two witnesses warned her, right, don't, don't be uh, uh, together with that guy. And then even if just one witness saw them actually sin, she's actually not a sota. She doesn't drink the waters. They're simply prohibited. He has a right to divorce her without paying her ketuvah. Okay, um, there wouldn't be further uh, um, corporeal punishment because there aren't two witnesses, right? But one witness would be sufficient um, to make her prohibited. Um, okay, so that's uh, that's uh, uh, that's what our clarification of the Mishnah. And in fact, we have a Mishnah that's coming up later that supports this. If one witness says, I saw that they actually did a sinful act, she doesn't drink. You only drink if we're not sure. We don't know where they were secluded, but we don't know what happened during seclusion. Then she has to drink the water. But if she, if there's one one witness, she doesn't drink. She loses her right, the right for her ketubah, which was a major thing, especially in those days. The ketubah was the main financial uh, instrument that she would need to to continue uh, living after the divorce. Now, Okay, now that we established and we know that's in the Mishnah, and uh, we uh, we also inferred it from from uh, from our Mishnah here. But how about from the Torah? Can we find a derivation for this law in the Torah? Yes, the Tanur Banan. Ve'ayed and ba bishnayim akatu medaber. When the pasuk right back here says um, ve, that she nitmea ve'ayed and ba that she uh, sinned and there was no witness against her. We're reading this word ayed to mean two witnesses. I know, even though it's a singular noun. But we're gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna see why the Gemara reads this as two witnesses, and so says if there are not two witnesses against her, then he nitmea, she is considered temea, 
and there she loses her ketubah just based on that. If there are two witnesses, then the consequences will be death penalty, even worse. But so that's why it says en ba, even if there's not two witnesses, but rather only one. Okay. Bishnayim um, so Eden Ba is referring to two witnesses, not two, uh, but rather only one. Okay, so that's what uh, we're presuming, and now we have to defend it. Wait, maybe, maybe Ayad means literally one, and it means even without, even with zero witnesses, she is declared Teme'ah. Now that's already a problem by itself. What do you mean? Based on nothing? You're going to say she's Tema'ah? We're going to ask that question in a minute. But right now, we're going to prove from a different pasuk that you can't say that. Tamud lomad lo yakum ayed ehad be'ish. This is in Devarim 19, talking about general laws of testimony, Says teaches that one witness, ayed ehad, cannot stand up in, in testimony against a person. Now ayed ehad, is uh, redundant. If you could just say Ayad and you know it's one. If it just said Ayad, one witness cannot be stand as testimony against, uh, as, a, as a witness against another person, I would know it's one. Why do you have to say Ayad and that's one? I know it's singular. Oh, so this is a paradigm for all other places in the Torah where it says Ayad, even though it's singular, it means a, a set, a witness set. Um, and means referring to two witnesses, unless the pasuk says edechad. That's why over here I say edechad because to teach me that otherwise ed means two. Okay, and that's why we come back to our pasuk here, and uh, 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 means uh, ed eden ba means there are not two witnesses against her, but there is one witness that's sufficient to declare her tameh prohibited to her husband and loses her ketubah. Okay, um, there's no, she doesn't have two, but she has one. And if she was not forced, if she, as long as she wasn't raped, if she claimed she was raped, then that's a different story. She's permitted to be with her husband, who's not a Kohen. Um, but if she was not raped and there's one witness, then she is forbidden to her husband. Okay, so that's where now we confirmed our conclusion. Now we're going to challenge it again. So now you're telling me the only reason why I'm reading Ed, uh, uh, I'm, the only reason why I'm saying you only need one witness here is because of that Pasuk in Devarim 19 that taught me Ed Echad and therefore Ed generally means two and so here means if there's not two but there is one and if I didn't have that Pasuk in, in Devarim Yutet then what? I would have thought that Ed means one witness and that means even if there is, is lacking not even one witness she'd be, she'd be um, uh, forbidden? Why? How could, how could you make her forbidden to her husband and lose her Ketubah with zero witnesses. That wouldn't even make sense. In other words, I would know this even without that pasuk in Devarim. And so we answer Istrich. No, I need that pasuk in Devarim. I might have read this phrase, to mean that one witness is not believed, right? I would say, By the way, one witness is no good, is not sufficient. I need two. I could have read it that way. That's why I need the, the other pasuk to say, no, Ed means two 
itself means two witnesses. And so rather one is good. So I could have read it like that. Um, uh, now we question that. Really? If the pasuk means that one witness is not sufficient, so what would be sufficient? So you're saying two. I need two witnesses in order to make her prohibited. Well, if that's the case, that you need two witnesses, so the pasuk doesn't need to say anything. Because I know in general that two witnesses works for all areas of halacha. After all, I derive a gezerah shavah davar davar. It says, in the area of arayot, right, um, that uh, a husband sees in, her, in his wife, ervat davar. That's in Devarim 24. And it also says, regarding monetary cases, and so, right, that says davar here. So since davar, that refers to um, marriage laws. And davar, that refers to monetary laws. Both use the same word. I'm going to connect them together. And just like in monetary laws, I need two witnesses, so too in marriage laws, I always need two witnesses. And so, this pasuk in, in Sota, don't say anything. You don't have to say anything about um, Ed and Ba. I would assume on my own that require two witnesses. So, this reading is impossible. Um, therefore, Isterich Rather, actually, I do need the Pasuk to tell me that, I would need the Pasuk to tell me that I need two witnesses, right? This is just countering this argument here, um, that even though in all the whole, the whole Torah, two witnesses is, um, is necessary, um, I, would, I still would need this Pasuk to tell me one witness is not sufficient and I need two because I might have thought that Sota has Raglaim Ladavad, as a throwback to back to Nazir, that there is a good reason to stand on because after all the husband gave her a warning and she went and secluded anyway since he gave her a warning and she went against the warning, so I might have thought that Sota is more suspicious, this case is more suspicious than most, and even though in the rest of the Torah I need two, I might have thought that here one would be sufficient because of her prior suspicion, and that's why I would need uh, Ed and Ba to say one is not sufficient and I actually need two. And that's why I need that pasuk from Devarim Yutet to say Ed means two already and therefore back to one. Okay, this is multiple layers of logic of what I would have thought if I had thought that. All right, anyway, at this point we are proposing that Ed and Ba means that one witness is not believed. And so we further question that hypothesis. Does it fit with the grammatical sense of the sentence to say that Ed, uh, that, and, and that it means Ed and Ba is if there's one witness, one witness is not believed, and therefore she's permitted, but look at the rest of the sentence. It says, And also, she was not raped. Sounds like, right, If that otherwise, if she, uh, if she was not raped, um, if she was raped, she would be permitted. If she's not raped, then she's prohibited, right? The rest of the sentence has to be, then she's prohibited. It's, you can't, it's hard to read that if there's, if, if there, uh, if, if there's um, one witness, Enba, 
that it's not and and uh, not ne'eman, right? Um, it's hard to read that um, that en ne'eman ba, right? We're adding the word en ba means en ne'eman ba. That one witness is not believed because then ve'ilonit pasa wouldn't make sense. It sounds like only if she was not raped. If she was raped, she's out off the hook. She's innocent. If she is raped, then prohibited. So how could you read it that way? And so we answer. Uh, no, you could still read it that way. And you'd read, uh, one witness is not believed by himself, because you need two. And even with two, um, uh, she would not be guilty if uh, she was raped. Has to be two, and she was not forced. Uh, um, and so all that is Kamash Malan, since we could have read the whole Pasuk to mean that one witness is not believed, but two is, that's why we need that Pasuk in Devarim Yutet to tell me that Ed Echad, the word Ed by itself means two, and since Ed by itself means two, therefore Ed and Ba means not two, but only one. If there is one witness, she is prohibited and loses her ketubah. All right. So that's all that was an exercise to explain why we even need the Pasuk and Devarim, why we couldn't figure it out ourselves. Next. Rabbi Yoshua Omer, Mekanela alpi shenayim. My tamad Rabbi Yoshua, Amar kera ba, ba velo bekinoi, ba velo bestira. Rabbi Yoshua says, you need two witnesses, both for the testimony and for for the warning and for the seclusion. What's the reason of this? What's the source of the Yoshua? From that was same pasuk ba. This is why we needed to go through that whole exercise of ba because we're gonna that's gonna be useful. Okay, so ba that says ayd um, ein ba. There are there is not two witnesses against her. So ba is referring specifically to the case where. This one witness saw her actually sin. That's where, um, without even without two witnesses, one witness is sufficient. But Ba here is a limiting word to tell us that one witness is sufficient if he actually saw the act of sin. But not for kinui, for warning, one's not enough, you need two. And also it limits and says Ba, only if she saw that one saw her sin, that's sufficient, but not for seclusion. Just if it's only seclusion, you need two. That's Rabbi Yeshua's source. Rabbi Eliezer Omer Ba, Velo Bekinui. Rabbi Eliezer only has the Ba limit to one, one part of it, um, Ba, that one witness is sufficient for Tum'ah, but uh, is insufficient for warning. The warning needs two. Now we ask, for, according to the Eliezer, why don't you go to the Yeshua and say, Ba is limiting also and telling us that we that one is not sufficient for seclusion. You need two for seclusion. And his answer is, No, seclusion is connected uh, back to back in the Pasuk with actual sinning, and therefore just like sinning, all you need is one, so to seclusion, all you need is one.
Now we ask about that. The warning is also connected back to back with actual sinning because there's kine and nitmea. Nitmea always means an act of sinning. And so therefore they're, they're, they're equally connected, right? ba. So why don't we say that the word ba, uh, so we know that ba um, excluded, excludes one of them, umaraita. So why do you decide that it excludes or one, but not the other. And so we answer for the Be'eliezer, Mistabera setira adifa, sheken as osarta ketum'ah. It makes sense that the uh, seclusion, that's the one that um, is more similar uh, to tum'ah, because it's the seclusion that makes her forbidden, just like tum'ah does. It's if she actually sins, does the act, then she's forbidden to her husband. That's the trigger. So too, seclusion is the trigger. Once she secludes herself, then she's prohibited to her husband. Whereas the warning doesn't make her prohibited to her husband. Um, so that's why those two should be the same and both of those should require only one witness. We reject that. Wait, why don't you say that the warning is the one that should require only one witness because it's the warning that caused her to become forbidden. The warning is set up the stage so that the seclusion will be the problem. So maybe the warning is really the worst part of it. Ironically, the worst part of it is the one that requires only one witness, which is true because right, uh, the actual sin is the worst type thing she could do, and that requires only one witness. Okay. And we say, no, if not for the seclusion, would the warning do anything? And so it's really the seclusion that's the worst thing. No, but on the other hand, if not for the warning, the seclusion would not have effectuated anything. If, uh, if a woman is just secluded without any warning, it doesn't trigger any, any problem. So we're left in a quandary that really you need both. So why does it be Eliezer? pick stira to be like the tuma and not the kinui. Afilu hachi setira adifa de atchalta de tuma hi. And then we say no, the seclusion. That's the thing that we want to focus focus on because it's at that moment that she becomes uh, tameh to prohibited to her husband. You're right. Even though the the uh, warning set the stage and is a necessary prerequisite. Nevertheless, that at the time of the warning, she's per permitted, and it's the, the, the actual trigger um, that when she first becomes prohibited is from the, from the seclusion on, just like from the act of sin on, and that's why he says those are the same, and just like sine, the sin requires one witness, so too seclusion requires only one witness. All right, good. So now that we've uh, understand the two opinions that are said mentioned in the Mishnah, now we're going to bring yet a third opinion. And so according to this Braita um, that said, in the name of, it's reported, in the name of Rabbi Yosef, in the name of uh, the son of Rabbi Yehuda, 
who says in the name of Rabbi Eliezer. So this is a different version of what Rabbi Eliezer is. We have the Rabbi Eliezer of the Mishnah and Rabbi Eliezer of this Baraita. According to the Rabbi Eliezer here, it's a, a warn, someone who warns his wife, the warning can be based on one witness or even himself. He can just do it himself. Uh, whereas the seclusion has to be with two witnesses. It's the opposite of the Mishnah, right? Rabbi Eliezer says, one witness is required, only one was required for one of them, two and one, or one and two, but it's a question of which one he said. Okay, and now based on that, the Chachamim said back to, uh, responded to the Be'eliez and said, according to this version of the Be'yuda, there's no end to the matter. They make it, too, it makes it too easy for a husband to make his wife a sota, because look, the warning doesn't have to be in front of two witnesses. It can even be just by himself. So therefore, a husband, if he's a lousy guy, he's just so anytime he's going to say, oh, I gave her a warning. Doesn't need any verification. That means anytime his wife is secluded with a man, right? For whatever reason, maybe they're having a business meeting, maybe whatever. It could be for an innocent purpose. Um, but anytime he feels suspicious about that, he can come and say, oh, I gave them a warning. And then um, she becomes a sota. And so the Chachamim say, this version of Rabbi Eliezer is very difficult. It puts too little of a burden of proof on the husband. Okay. What is the source for that opinion? Maybe the word ba, just like we said before, you need one witness for actual defilement, but you don't need um, one witness for seclusion. So seclusion has to be with two witnesses, um, and but that's it. We're only going to exclude one thing, because it really has it only uh, um, cited the exclusion for one thing, and that means for the warning, the warning can be with one witness. Wait a second. Why don't we say the opposite, that the word uh, ba comes to teach us that you need two. You need one. That um, you need two witnesses for the warning. Now, kinui itakash the tumah dichti v'kine et ishto v'hi nitmeah. The warning is connected to the tumah actual sinning. Uh, they're back to back in the pasuk, and therefore the actual sin needs one witness. Therefore, and therefore the warning also needs only one witness. We ask setira name itakash the tumah dichti v'nistera v'hi nitmeah. The same process, the exercise we did before. That seclusion also is connected back to back, and therefore that should be uh, that should be the one that has one witness as for seclusion. No, that connection between seclusion and actual sinning that comes to teach us the amount of time, the measurement for how long seclusion is called seclusion, how long the amount of time it would take to do an act of sinning. Um, uh, so however long you calculate that is, that's, that's what that pasuk is coming to connect them. And, and therefore, um, the closer connection is between the, um, the, the connection in terms of witnesses is, is between the warning and the seeing of sin. The seeing of sin is one witness, so to the warning is only one witness. That's the source for Rabbi Yosef's version of Rabbi Eliezer. Okay. Now the Chachamim say, according to this version of Rabbi Eliezer, this has no end. The husband will be will call his sota, call his wife a sota all the time. What do they mean? It means that there's times when the husband didn't warn his wife, 
but he's gonna say I warned her right and it's too easy he could just make up a warning and if you make up a warning anytime she's alone um, with someone she is gonna be a sota right she goes in a in a taxi uh, she's alone right uh, so there's no end to the matter okay now we ask wait what's the difference between that version of Rabbi Eliezer in the Braita and the one in the Mishnah. So in the one in the Mishnah, uh, there isn't there isn't don't we have a similar problem? Zimnin de la istatar istatar. In our Mishnah, we're gonna have a similar problem because you only need one witness or himself for the seclusion. And so there could be cases where she wasn't secluded and that he's gonna come and say she that he's gonna make up and make it up. And so therefore they have the similar problem. He's gonna uh, warn her in front of two witnesses. Fine, need two witnesses. But he could warn her anytime, right? About anybody, right? There's no there's no prerequisite for that. And so he goes and uh, makes a, gives a warning that says, says don't be with so and so and then if he decides he's in a bad mood, he's gonna say, I saw them secluded and he can make it up and it doesn't need any further proof and so again we have the same problem there's no end to the matter you're making um you're making it too easy for him to call her a sota so says no read in the braita this way also, according to the Biyosef there is no end to the matter. In other words, what the Chachamim meant to say, both in both um, versions, the Biyeliezer in the in the Mishnah, and also the Biyeliezer in the Baraita have a problem. The Biyosef, either way, by requiring one witness, either for this or that t- uh, stage, are making it too easy. Okay. And then we reject that. Hold on. You're saying that also for the Braita, and I don't even need to tell you regarding the Mishnah that it makes it too easy for him. That's not true. In the, in the case of our Mishnah, there is um, some basis, because in the Mishnah, he does have to at least give a warning in front of two witnesses. So the Mishnah, in the Mishnah, there is better, ba- the Mishnah's version of the Eliezer, there is more basis for the husband's suspicion. So you wouldn't say, um, uh, uh, also, of course the Mishnah, there, there, there's no end to the matter. And even in the Braita, no, it should, it would, you'd say the other way around. So we switch it around. Ela itmar hachi itmar. It must be the Biochanan meant the following. Amar of Yitzchak bar Yosef amar Biochanan. Le divre de Biyosef bere Biyuda. Aflish mid Mishnatenu en la davar sof. The first they said, if you follow the Biyosef bere Biyuda's version of the Biyeliezer, there's no end to the matter because there's no basis at all for the husband he could just come without witnesses and not only that even according to the mishnah where there is some more basis because at least the with the, the the warning has to be with two people but even in that version there's no end to the matter in other words both versions um are of the Eliezer give the husband too much leeway um although the braita gives way too much leeway, but even in the Mishnah version, um, it, and we're going to say, en la davar sof. Okay, um, to come to the sof, amar rav hanina misura, la le ma'ina shli tete bizman azeh, 
la tisteri behade peloni. Dilma kamalan kere biyose beri biyodada markinui apiasmo o mistatera ve lakaydana mesotal mibdeka ve kasad la ilave isura del olam. Some good advice of Rabbi Chanina from Sura. A person should not tell his wife nowadays when there's no better mikdash. He should um uh, he should not tell his wife the following words. Do not seclude yourself with that man. Right, and give a warning. Even without any witnesses there, even if it's just the two of them, don't say that because perhaps the halacha is like Rabbi Yoseb, Rabbi Uda's version of Rabbi Eliezer, who said that test the warning works based on himself. You don't need any witnesses. And therefore, if he says that even in private with it to his wife, she will be officially warned. And then, should she ever be secluded with that guy, um, they'll, she'll be, be, she becomes a, a safek sota and will be prohibited to her husband. And nowadays, without a betamitash, we don't have the water of, waters of sota to check her. The waters of sota, if she's innocent, she'll drink them and then she'll know she's innocent, she can go back to her husband. But if we don't have that, she remains in the state of prohibition forever, right? And she'll be prohibited forever without any way to undo it. Uh, therefore, just in case the halacha is in fact like Rabbi Yosef Rabbi Yehuda, that makes it very easy to uh, trigger the sota. So be careful. Don't say those, don't even say those words. I don't want, uh, and give her a warning lest it be an official warning and that will um, uh, destroy the marriage. All right. So the whole point of this halacha is to save marriages. And so we want to make sure that it's not false Mostly triggered um, and thereby do the opposite of the intention. Baruch Adonai Amen ve Amen.